0: And we've been getting a lot of rain. Let's check in with our good friend Al Bat and see if things are doing okay over in your heartland. Hey, Al, how are things in your heartland?
1: It, it, it's a beautiful day. And uh, I, my wife and I actually went and watched a softball game in Mankato last night. Oh. So it, it, it's been real uh, difficult to find a softball game to watch with all the rain. So they have canceled. I know the Mankato West team said they had six games this week, thanks to all the cancellations and trying to make them all up. So it's uh, it, it's beautiful day today. The dandelions are growing oh. like, uh, it's just, it's incredible. Uh, the Niger feeders here are weighed down with a gazillion lemony goldfinches, maybe, maybe fewer than a gazillion, but not, not a whole lot. And I listened to a brown thrasher sing about his life. Experiences And his song, it's clear and it's melodious. It's a set of repeated phrases sung with gusto. And one one uh, mnemonic that I think of, it spoofs a phone conversation that this brown treasure might be having because he repeats himself. So it'd be, hello, hello, yes, yes. <laughs> Who is this? Who is this? I should say, I should say, how's that? How's that? And he just goes on and on. And Al Sack... Who lives in harmony sent me a photo of a brown thrasher nest in a roll of old barbed wire you know a lot of farm places they've taken out fences and the barbed wires kind of rolled into a a a semi well organized ball and boy you know what a good place to put a nest i guess if you're a brown thrasher because those barbs are it's hard to get at you when you're in there (laughs) Uh, seeing some red admiral butterflies, uh, they're black and orange and white. They're beautiful, but when you see them flying uh, from any distance at all, they look black. And the first ones we get here each year come from the southern U.S. Because red admirals can't survive the cold, so each fall they, they flee south and they spend the winter in the deep south they lay eggs die the eggs hatch and when spring comes a new generation begins migrating north they go th- probably 30 to 40 miles a day and they repopulate the northern states and their their host plant is stinging nettles oh Yeah, so they lay their eggs on there and uh, caterpillars feed on them. Because I try to get rid
0: of those stinging nettles because, you know, if you come in contact with them, oh, that's not pleasant.
1: Yeah, my wife has it. Pull them hand. I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, I used to have farmers' hands, you know, with calluses and <laughs> right. stuff. So then you could do stuff like that. And I certainly don't have those hands anymore. But I still pull those, and they don't seem to bother me. Are for you some serious? Reason.
0: You must be special because, man, if if just a little brush with them and. They they hurt forever. It seems.
1: That's Gail, and but hmm. I, you know, and I'm sure. Now I'm I'm semi humble bragging about it. <laughs> so the next time I do it, it'll hurt because that's how things go. You say, well, I've never had problems with that, and boom, the next day, <laughs> um, a friend of mine said he'd never had the flu in his life, and I think it was like the next week he thought he was going to die because he had no experience having the flu, so he thought this is it. Uh, Roger Davidson sent a Washington Post article uh, that said a century ago, Rex Brazier. And uh, if you're like me, most people we've never heard of him. He uh, did 900 watercolors documenting some 1,200 American bird species, and he was celebrated in its in his day. He was a, a big thing, but he just kind of went away with uh, history took him. And now residents where he lived uh, and worked are exploring his work again. And as the threat of climate change accelerates, the Rex Brazier Association believes there could be invaluable scientific documentation of changing habitats and his artistic legacy. His birds, he painted from live birds the way it looks, and of course Audubon painted dead birds primarily. So his uh, Rex Brazier has B-R-A-R-A. S-H-E-R, and it's just some really lovely stuff. Uh, Denny Tustison saw an indigo bunting and Albert Lee. Darwin Olson of Heartland has some red-headed woodpeckers. Uh, Rick Mammel of Albert Lee, a red-bellied woodpecker eating jelly. Uh, Rick, I took some photos of the red-bellied woodpecker eating the grape jelly. His tongue comes out. It comes out uh, two inches past the end of his beak, and the male has a thicker tongue with a flatter tip on it. And you know, why would he have a different tongue than a female? It doesn't make much sense. But they, some scientists believe, that this gives these two birds the ability to feed to forage in different areas so she can feed in one place and he can feed in the other so it just makes probably makes for marital harmony i don't (laughs) know but they just get to eat more stuff and different things uh jeff doyle sent me he's a jeff i met jeff he's a, a storyteller from michigan uh, we've done some storytelling festivals together and became friends and uh, roommates. Poor guy got stuck <laughs> the first time we met. They said, you have to room with bat, I'm sorry, but somebody has to do it. He sent me a photo. He's uh, doing some work on the roof of a building he has and photo of hundreds of chimney swifts uh, flying about in the air, cutting through the air, and then they just go in little by little, and then that last bat's just, whoof all at once. Uh, Jerry Victoria of uh, beautiful rural Allendale has, uh, he said, I have at least, if I have 10 Orioles, I have 30. He has scarlet tanagers and asked when we'll see the moths that look and act like hummingbirds. The one that we primarily see, or at least I primarily see, there's clearwing moths and other things, but is the white-lined sphinx moth which has this rapid wing movement that resembles a hummingbird in flight when it hovers over flowers while feeding. And it has a two to three-and-a-half-inch wingspan. It visits flowers during the day and then at dusk. I see them feeding heavily at dusk. And it's active, Jerry, from July, July through September. And uh, we might see them outside those months, but that's the primary time. And it has this long proboscis for nectaring from, oh, what have I seen it on? Evening primrose, columbine, jimsonweed, lilac, uh, cardinal flower. I saw a bunch of them on a cardinal flower once. That was an incredible experience just seeing that. Honeysuckle hosta. Uh, petunias, phlox, and I'm missing some. They do it all without harming the plants. The host plants for the caterpillars include evening primrose, purslane, and then tomato. So a lot of gardeners will talk about tomato worms, and this is one of them.
0: The hornworm? Uh, Now, this is different than the hornworm?
1: No, this is a horn horn it
0: they're scary looking it, actually i they they are these giant fat fat green things with the, with this big yep. pokey thing. It looks like a unicorn uh caterpillar, but gross, yeah,
1: <laughs> and they have a, yeah that single pointed horn on the rear end and they're always green, but as soon as I say that, somebody will send me a photo of one that's kind of a black color, so they are different ones, but uh, we'll also see them in apple, four o'clock, grapes, they like grapes, so uh, we, um, it's really cool seeing these little guys, these white line sphinx moss, I led a walk in Colorado, and we walked around um, Steamboat Springs, we were looking at birds and everything else, and we came to one of the gardens they planted out there, and it was filled with the white-lined sphinx moth. And these were people that came out to look at birds, but they were so taken, that might have been the highlight, just seeing all those sphinx moths out there for them. Uh, Rick Mammel, again, of Albert Lee, said he saw uh, he put the orange halves out for his Baltimore Orioles, and grape jelly in an oriole feeding station he'd constructed. He said it didn't take two minutes before two orioles came in and were feeding right away. And Maren Holst of Lake City, she'd seen some orioles during the day, and then she got busy doing stuff, you know, people stuff, we got things to do. And all of a sudden, she said, at ten minutes before midnight, you know, when your mind kind of clears, all of a sudden you go, oh, that's what I should have done today. She had to get out the ladder and put out oranges for them. So Mm -hmm. 10 minutes before midnight, she's putting up orange halves for her Orioles. She said, I'd forgotten to do that earlier, and I wanted to make sure the birds had a decent breakfast. So I think that's uh, to be commended.
0: Well, I I was going to say, I got a note here from uh, Jim in Mankato. He says, Hi, Al. I put out grape jelly for the Orioles. The catbirds enjoy it, too. I had a brief visit, but a scar... I had brief visits, but a scarlet tanager, an American redstart, or- orchard oriole, and an American yellow warbler. So he's seeing a lot of great oh, wow. things. Yeah,
1: boy, he's, he's seeing some real colorful stuff there. Yeah, catbirds love jelly, and when you see them, they'll kind of flash their tail, and then they have kind of a a, a burgundy colored butt, I guess, <laughs> and they're just uh, they're real beautiful. Have a little black cap. And they're the ones that meow and I had a puppy at one time, was sure that was a cat out there in the bushes and just wouldn't listen to reason.
0: Now the catbirds so, are the ones with kind of a gray sheen. They they actually they they almost look like they're enamel gray or something it's just this really right am i thinking of the right ones because they just have you are i love them they're they're just the coolest gray it's like the kind of color you'd want to you know sherwin williams or bear or whatever those paint colors have on a little chip and paint your your house or something (laughs) yeah
1: they are beautiful and i see a pair out here and they're so sweet just kind of doing things together and They are uh, lovely. I I raise raspberries, and I love raspberries, so I'm out there picking them. And the gray catbirds every year scold me because those are their (laughs) raspberries, and I don't know who I think I am out there plucking their raspberries so they they are really neat and the yellow warblers my dad called them summer warblers cuz well they came kind of in warm weather uh they're a beautiful yellow color and the males have little red stripes on the breast and they're just uh, they sing sweet 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 i'm so sweet or kiss 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 give me a little kiss so
0: speaking and of the, i wanted to say speaking of the yellow birds our friend jeff in jamesville has says he's been seeing the little bright yellow bird at lake elysian and yes i could just google them but only al can talk specifically about the state and even more specifically about our area in southern minnesota and as always such great things to add to a person's questions let's see you get uh, that on google so he appreciates your uh, your added commentary so yeah seeing i assume is he seeing the the warblers too or what is he seeing finches maybe
1: yeah Jeff, the primary one would be the yellow warbler, and that's the one that comes galloping to mind. There are several other ones that are pretty yellow. We see Wilson's warblers have a little black cap. They're not nearly as common here as the yellow warblers. So I think the one that takes my breath away, especially when a little sun hits it as they come out from the leaves, is this yellow warbler, and they're the ones singing, kiss, 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 give me a little kiss. So it's a... It's great to to see them. I enjoy. I heard one singing out here this morning. I did not see it in my yard, but I I love seeing yellow warblers, and they're one of the one of the birds. They don't mean spring necessarily to me, but they seem to kind of indicate where we're getting the warm weather. So I think that's maybe why my dad called them summer warblers. So great, uh, Jeff. It's always great to hear from you and Jim. Uh, that's that's really cool that you're seeing scarlet tanagers at the at the jelly feeder. They love jelly. And uh, American Red Starts well, I was down in Mexico leading a, uh some kind of a tour and one of the guides that we got down in Mexico told me they were candelitas, little candles. Wow. So they uh somebody um every year refers to them as that they look like little tiny orioles. So they kind of share those same colors. Okay, before Uh, you go on,
0: we're still talking about yellow birds. I want to stick on the subject because that seems to be in the thread here of our text, Al. It says, uh, this is from our friend John in in New Ulm. He said, the neighbor has a goldfinch feeder. I think I see about 15 at times by it. Oh, isn't that neat? And then he goes on to comment. (laughs) I love this. Walmart doesn't do a great job filling their potholes. To me, potholes have shallow personalities and he said for kmsu this is john reporting live from new home then here's a question for al why did the bee have sticky hair
1: why did the bee have sticky hair Uh, he used honey for his hairdressing
0: i don't know well he said i bet al knows this one it used a it used a honeycomb
1: a honeycomb. Well, of course he one. would. Thank you, John. You know, I, Big Bird was he a, a yellow warbler? I don't think so. He you was know, a he, little old. He was
0: kind of big. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you? What would you describe him as in terms of the closest bird if you were to put him in a category, Al?
1: Yeah, I'd I'd, I'd go with yellow warbler. <laughs> uh, he described just, just you know a supersized one, maybe a steroid use uh, growth a GMO or something, he described himself as uh, a number of different species Ah. through the years because people were always asking him, what what kind of bird are you? So he would give all these names. I think once he said he was a lark, and uh, so I don't think anybody knows. And it's like um, Woodstock. I, Woodstock to me looks like a little yellow warbler oh. too. Though so speaking of yellow <laughs> birds, but I I don't know what kind of bird Big Bird is. I, I looked it up a few years ago, and they had all these uh, quotes. Through the years where he said, "Well, he was this kind, or maybe Jim Henson said he's this kind, so I think sometimes they were just kind of funning with people a little bit too so i I would say Big Bird is uh, definitely one of a kind and uh, so which um, Denny Tustison of Albertbert Lee at, called up one day and he said, "I have no Baltimore orioles could and I said, "Well, I'll send you some." He said, okay, thanks. He called later, a day or two later, to say he wanted some, not the whole flock. And he was wondering if he could afford to feed them all. So he had that many. Uh, Ruth Searle of Woodbury said, we used to see white pelicans visit one of the ponds on Rod's farm. Uh, her husband was Rod Searle, who was in the state legislature from Wasika. Uh, Just a great guy and good friend. Ruth said, a group would land and drive the fish to one side of the pond and then leave. Do you have any idea where they might have been nesting? They They don't mate. American white pelicans, if you see them now, they have this nuptial tubercle, a big lump on the upper bill, and that means that they're mature enough for... Uh, lasting relationships. But they don't mate until they're probably at least three years old and sometimes not until they are five. So the ones on the farm roof were likely non breeders and they were just traveling wherever the fishing was good. So they didn't have any ties to anywhere. Uh, Jim Grady of Fairmont said the uh, Martin County Conservation Club Uh, by Fairmont, gave the Wyndham DNR 50 bluebird boxes, 12 wood duck boxes, a few kestrel boxes, and a bat house. Jim saw his first Baltimore Oriole on May 7th. Now he has a dozen Orioles and a dozen grosbeaks, an orchard Oriole, catbirds, and a cowbird. Uh, Jim Grady and uh, Steve Maurice built, uh, I don't know how many boxes they built, and Jim might have told me and if he did uh, I apologize for not remembering cuz it's a it's a really high number and for heartland elementary math that's tough <laughs> but they built so many they did uh, a giveaway on April 15th and the weather wasn't uh, wasn't <laughs> I don't know. You know, it's always hard to be critical of weather because it really doesn't care if you're critical. (laughs) But it it wasn't pleasant for people anyway, but they gave all kinds of boxes away. And he said people were so nice. So uh, I appreciate all the good work that Jim and Steve have done through the years uh, making all those things and giving them away. And now they're uh, giving them all to the DNR. So they'll end up in uh, state parks and places. So uh, I appreciate their good work. Uh, Al,
0: I've got a, just got a text from our uh, Jennifer and she says, hello, ma'am, please ask the bird guy, meaning you, about seagulls, specifically the seagulls that live in Minnesota. I understand the gulls in Duluth because of that big lake. That makes sense. What I don't understand is the flock of seagulls, not the band that lives in the Burger King parking lot in St. Cloud. (laughs) (laughs) There aren't any big lakes there. So what are they doing there? Is the appeal of discarded parking lot French fries really enough to keep them there? They've hung out there for at least 20 years. They are there every single day just looking for some scraps. How did these fools get to Minnesota anyway? Are they considered an invasive species or have they lived here long enough to be considered native? Thank you. Jennifer.
1: Jennifer, thank you. (laughs) I'm headed to St. Cloud today so i'll i'll have to drive through the burger king there and just say i'll greet them all for you uh yeah french fries you know they're uh, they're enough of an appeal to get us to go through those drive-throughs so the gulls it, it, interesting to hear from you jennifer and that i heard from a fellow who said how do seagulls find my tractor when i'm working in the field <laughs> and it's the same kind of thing uh, we call them seagulls and the reason they're here, uh, seagull is really uh, not, and we all call them that, so it's just the way things are, they're not taxonomically correct. Um, gulls are found nearly everywhere, especially where there's a landfill, a uh, shopping mall parking lot, uh, fast food drive through So the gulls again when somebody says seagulls man i know what they're talking about you don't have to say well it's not they're not really seagulls uh (laughs) the gulls are flying high overhead so and they are natives and so this when they're up in that high point they're looking they're up in a catbird seat and they're looking down So they can see over this large area. And a flock has so many eyes to look for food. And if they see other birds feeding, they check it out. So that brings them to landfills a lot. And if they see, not in your case, Jennifer, but in case of this other fellow with his tractor, they see that tractor moving across the field. They have learned that it uncovers worms, insects, mice for eating, so gulls are curious, they're hungry, they're intelligent, they find tractors worth following. And how they end up in, uh, I tell a story, I, I have two drive-through stories. One, there were two crows ahead of me, and another one, there were three gulls ahead of me going through the drive through just walking ahead of me. They didn't care about me at all. We are... Oh yeah, have you ever noticed about us we're we're kind of a messy bunch we tend to drop food here and there we're in a hurry and we're we're messy eaters so the gulls are looking they're probably one day watching us eat those french fries and one of the kids says i don't and throws them out the window i say kid that could be like a 40 year old husband and the gull says well they're eating them so he goes and tries them he says wow these french fries are amazingly good So while he's eating that, here high in the sky is this huge flock of gulls looking down and saying, hey, what's that guy got? So the next thing you got them all down there. So now they join us for fishing. They're just around us all the time. And they are omnivores, so they'll eat pretty much anything. We all probably had that one in the family that didn't want to try anything that they'd never eaten before. And the mom would say, how do you know you don't like it if you don't try it? You got to try it. at least try it. And the kid's already made up his mind, no matter how good it is, he's going to try it and then he's not going to like it. Anyway, gulls are willing to try everything and they're good at being gulls. They're just really good at what they do. And because of that, they end up spending time in the drive-throughs with us and uh, you know they're not bad company they kind of spruce up the area so that was a great question jennifer i appreciate that very very much and uh, i'm an old farm boy so i spent a lot of time in the company gulf especially in the fall they just follow me around in the field and uh, between them and red-tailed hawks would also fly from post to post or utility pole to utility pole because I would chase up mice and things for them to catch. So they liked me. There's some birds that really have adopted well to the presence of uh,
0: humans. And what,
1: I boy, I'd have to say gulls are one.
0: When we were farming, my dad used to get from the, the local uh, creamery, they used to or it was a food manufacturer and they'd have tapioca pudding that was I don't know if it was burnt or it was bad or it was whatever and so my dad would get this liquid tapioca and put it in the liquid manure spreader and he would spread it on the fields and it would be like you know you imagine the manure is all black right dark and then yep. he was followed by it looked like snow following him because there would be just just a humongous flocks of these what we call seagulls, following him. And I don't know if it was the tapioca or whatever was in that, what he was spreading, but it was always amazing how he just, it was just like he was carrying like a whole bunch of balloons on strings with all these white birds following him throughout the fields when he was Aww. spreading with his, his big honey wagon, as we called it.
1: I love tapioca. When I was in, uh, in college, one of my roommates, his name was John Martin, and we love tapioca pudding. Oh gosh, it was just the best.
0: What is he tapioca built, anyway? I'm not even sure.
1: I it's produced from tapioca. It's is it from the cassava root, Uh-oh. I think. From boy, where would that be Southeast Asia? And so it comes from that root and, and then they call it tapioca and I we we would get these tapioca pearls. Yeah, yeah. And And John Martin made this thing. It was a little device that would spin around, had holes, and it could separate the small ones from the medium ones from the big ones and put them in separate trays for no reason because you put them all together anyway. But he spent a lot of time doing that because that kept him from having to actually go to class. He was one of those kids that was just so smart that. I don't know if he got bored in school, so instead he stayed home and made a tapioca pearl sorter. So I've I've looked for that in all the <laughs> kitchen stores and the cooking stores, and I've never ever seen a, a tapioca pearl sorter. So I guess he's still ahead of his time. But I know it had something to do with a cassava root. My mom always made it. We had tapioca pudding once a week, and we had rice pudding once a week. We had lemon pudding once a week, and they were always good stuff And just look for. And we had vanilla pudding on occasion, too.
0: So obviously, we seagulls love tapioca, too. So
1: I don't blame them. I think they'd be stupid not to like tapioca, and uh, that's its amazing what all... I helped out. I wasn't really an employee. I helped a kid, and he gave me like a dollar to feed mink at a mink farm. They ate everything. I just... Whatever you put in front of them, they ate. I used to feel sorry for them because they were all in these cages and they were on death row but you know that dollar that mighty dollar mm-hmm. I said sure I'll help so I did it I think once and then I didn't want to do it anymore it was just kind of sad but Aww. they they fed them everything and I'm sure if you mixed tapioca in there with whatever <laughs> you were giving them as long as it had a little meat in there they would have eaten it so Ugh. it's, a, it's a, a funny world well a kind of a crazy world sometimes I, I just got a message from a lady called, and she left a message about the penguins on Fountain Lake, and then she called back almost immediately and left another message saying she meant pelicans. So mm. she was wondering where they nest. It, the Minnesota population of, of pelicans, it's probably 16,000 to 22,000 nesting pairs, and there's 15 to 17 sites across the western two-thirds of the state. But we'll see non-breeding birds observed all throughout the state. And we probably got pelicans back because of the Chase Lake colony in North Dakota. Just gross. It grew so much that some of them, there wasn't room enough for all of them, so they went to other places. Our biggest uh, colony is Marsh Lake, which would be out near Ortonville and Appleton. But Lake of the Woods and Leech Lake, pelican lake in wright county uh the state of iowa has one pelican breeding colony and that's along the mississippi river in clinton county so thank you all I appreciate you all, Uh, Jennifer. I will definitely say hello to those gulls at the Burger (laughs) King today. I might not order anything. I don't know if I'll be hungry, but I'll just drive through and say I just came here to see the gulls. Or you can
0: order the fries, and you could dump them out in the lot, and then you'll have even more friends. That's right. Well, I'll just I'll drive.
1: You know, it always gives them a story to tell because who has more stories to tell than the people that work at the windows at fast food places? Hey. uh, Step on a crack, break your mother's back. Who didn't hear that when you were growing up? I I can only speak for boys, but that was when you're walking down the sidewalk. You you heard that often. Did I believe it? No, no, I didn't. It was nonsense. But I love my mother, and I tried not to step on any cracks. Her. (laughs) baked goods what a cook she was you know it wasn't just tapioca pudding her baked goods were baked greats and mother taught me a little bit about cooking one was that gravy covers a multitude of sins and to never complain about food because you never know what's cooking tomorrow she taught me so many things i learned that each day is a gift there isn't a day that goes by that i don't miss her Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Thanks for listening. Uh, Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, as always, Karen, for your uh, wonderful company.
0: Thank you, Al. We'll chat with you next week. Happy bird watching.